بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا من فضلك علما وتعليما إنك على كل شيء قدير وبعد السلام عليكم ورحمة الله So we've been speaking about the lead up to and the beginning of the battle of Ahzab. The battle known as Ghazwatul Ahzab, the battle of the Confederates, or Ghazwatul Al-Khandaq, or the battle of the trench. And last week we spoke about the actual fights that took place between the Muslims and the Ahzab of Quraysh and Banu Ghatafan. And we mentioned that despite the huge forces present from Quraysh's side and Ghatafan and others, there were only three to seven of the mushrikun who were killed in battle and about six or so Muslims killed in these battles. So you think of a large battle with all of these numbers, but you don't get that kind of huge battle going on in this Ghazwa, the Ghazwa of Ahzab. So we spoke about these skirmishes and the mubaraza, the duels between different sahaba with some of these forces. And we left off on the story of how the victory started to approach and how the tides began to turn in favor of the Muslims. So we told the story of Naim or Nu'aim ibn Mas'ud. Nu'aim ibn Mas'ud is from the tribe of Ghatafan. And he snuck out of that tribal area where they were encamped and he made his way with an aman, with a guarantee of protection to seek an audience with the Prophet And this took place between Maghrib and Isha, so it's dark, it's getting darker, so he won't be so easily recognized. He gets there and before the Prophet he says, I have accepted Islam, instruct me, tell me to do whatever you want. Put me at your service. And so the Prophet ﷺ tells him, you're just a single person, but you can go back and do anything you can to strip them of their help of one another. Anything you can do to diminish their mutual support. And he said that al-harbu khid'ah, that war is deception. So he's basically permitting him to use deception to cause splits within the ranks between Quraysh and Ghatafan and others, Banu Quraydha. So what does he do? Last week we mentioned his three-pronged strategy. The first thing he does is go to Banu Quraydha. And the reason why he goes to Banu Quraydha, as we said, is because he was an old friend with that tribe. He's had many dealings with them in the past. So there's a relationship there. They know him and he knows them. So he goes to them and he says, you know who I am and we've had dealings in the past. Now I am here for your own good. This land is your land and this wealth is your wealth. This property is your property. He's basically telling them that you're here. You have a lot to lose if things don't turn out in the favor of Quraysh. So he's basically spinning this narrative for them. And he says, you have a lot to lose. But for Quraysh, 
they don't really have a lot to lose. Because, he says, if things don't go their way, they can just leave. They can go back to their homes. They can go back to Mecca and leave. There's no reason that compels them to stay here. But you are here. There's nowhere for you to go. This is what he said. So he said, my advice to you, therefore, is you should refuse to fight until Quraysh give you some guarantee by giving you some of their noblemen, their ashraf, to stay with you in your compound. Because they've ripped up the treaty. They're ready to cooperate and join in the fight. But now Nu'aym ibn Mas'ud is setting into motion, you know, he's playing strategic chess here, setting into motion something that's going to cause splits within the ranks. So the suggestion is very simple. Banu Qurayza, you should refuse to join in this fight until they give you 70 of their ashraf. Not the lower status people who come for the fight, but the higher status people. People they value, they're not going to just leave behind. If they give you those 70, that's a guarantee. And now you can go with some confidence that if things don't go their way, they're not just going to run off. They can't because they have 70 of their ashraf with you. So that was the idea he put to them. That's stage one. Stage two, Nu'aym ibn Mas'ud goes to Quraysh the next morning. And he talks to Abu Sufyan and says, you know my status among my people of Banu Ghatafan. You know who I am. He says, so he's basically telling him, you know, you can listen to me. You can trust me. I have a reputation. He says, news has reached me. I received some information. And I feel that my friendship with you, uh, it owes, that friendship owes that I tell you this important information. But you have to keep this between you and me. This is top secret. He says, Banu Qurayza, right now, they're actually regretting what they got involved in. They regret breaking the treaty. They regret agreeing to join forces with us. They're regretting this. And they have sent a message to Muhammad saying that if we hand over some of the Ashraf, the noblemen of Quraysh, for you to execute, Will you forgive us for our lapse in judgment? You see how this is, he's playing one group off of the other. The Banu Qurayla thinks that they need this so that they can guarantee Quraysh will stay put no matter how hard the battle gets, that they won't just leave. Now he has Abu Sufyan thinking, oh, they're making secret moves to get 70 or so of the Ashraf of Quraysh to execute them as a kind of tribute to show that they regret violating the treaty. He says to Abu Sufyan, if Banu Qurayza come to you and ask you for your ashraf, your noblemen, that will be a sign of treason and treachery. So now Abu Sufyan is alarmed. If Banu Qurayza sends any messenger asking for some of their ashraf, He's going to interpret that through the lens of the intelligence given to him by Nu'im ibn Mas'ud. But that information is actually disinformation. It's not true. But Banu Qurayl doesn't know what's going on on this side, and Abu Sufyan doesn't know what's going on on that side. That's stage two of the plan. 
Stage three is Nu'im ibn Mas'ud goes to his own tribesmen of Banu Qatafan and he says, the Quraysh can leave at any time and Banu Quraydah can flip sides at any time. They may go back to the side of allegiance with Muhammad or they may stay with Quraysh. They can flip any time. And they have offered 70 of us from Banu Ghatafad, and they have offered 70 of Quraysh as Muhammad for expiation. So now he's, he's adding another 70. He tells Abu Sufyan, 70 from you, and now he's saying 70 from us. Banu Qurayla has offered the Prophet wasallam uh, as an expiation. So if they come asking for 70 of you, then don't agree to give them anything. So within a few hours after all of this, because he spoke to Banu Qurayla at night, and then Abu Sufyan in the morning, and then Banu Ghatafan, his own people later that day. By that time, Banu Quraydha has sent a messenger, you know, an emissary to deliver a message. That emissary goes to Quraysh and in the presence of Abu Sufyan says, the Quraysh have delayed for too long. This is 20 days now and there's no substantial fighting. It's just skirmishes. It's a stalemate. They're on the other side of the trench. So one, he says, you've delayed too long. And you've done nothing in all of this time except talk, talk, talk. So let us all agree on a date. And you will attack Muhammad and his followers from your side. And we will attack from our side. And Ghatafan will attack from their side. And we will finish this matter with Muhammad. But before we set the date for this final push, we ask that you give us 70 of your noblemen because we want to secure the fact that you're not going to turn around and leave when the going gets tough, when the battle gets tough. We need a guarantee. So Banu Quraydah is operating on the suggestion of Nu'aym ibn Mas'ud. Abu Sufyan hears it through the lenses of the disinformation he received from Nu'aym ibn Mas'ud and thinks that, oh, this is what Nu'aym ibn Mas'ud told me was going to happen. They're going to make a ploy, but really they want to get 70 of us so they can ransom them, execute them as a kind of expiation for having betrayed Muhammad. So Abu Sufyan, being very intelligent, he doesn't expose that fact. He kept the secret for now. And he says, let me think about it. Let me think about it. So Banu Quraydah returns and they don't have anyone. They didn't get any noblemen to take back with them into their compound. So what you see now are the seeds of doubt are being sown. Banu Quraydah is a little curious. Well, why didn't they agree to this? We're coming back empty-handed. Abu Sufyan sees this as a confirmation of what Nu'aym Mas'ud told him. So now the seeds of doubt have been sown and this will mark the beginning of the breakdown of the Ahzab these confederates. So after this happened, Abu Sufyan tells his fellow Quraysh that what Nu'aym had told him. Now he spills the beans and says that this is just a plot from Banu Quraydah because they want to switch sides and betray us. So first they, they betrayed the Prophet and now Abu Sufyan is saying they want, they want to betray us now and turn back and flip over. So he said, don't hand anybody over. Don't let anyone go to join them. So the next day, after this, Nu'aym ibn Mas'ud goes back to Banu Quraydah. 
and he says, do you know what Abu Sufyan said as soon as that messenger left from you? He said, by Allah, we will not hand them a single infant camel, much less a human being. Do they think that we will trust them, that they will not execute those 70 men and hand them over to Muhammad? So now he's, he's spreading what they're saying, creating more doubts. Now Ibn Ushaq, in his seerah, he mentions that an individual from Banu Qurayza by the name of Az-Zubayr ibn Batta said, if the Quraysh and Ghatafan leave, there will be nothing left for us except the sword. Meaning we will face no consequence after all is said and done except the sword. If they leave, it's over for us. He said, why would they give us 70 of their noblemen? Why, why is that even in their interest to do so? He says, they have more numbers than us, they're more numerous, and they have more arms than us, and they have the advantage of being able to leave, whereas we have to stay. We'll have to remain where we are. So this narration is important, because it shows you that Banu Quraydha knew beforehand the consequences of betraying the treaty they had with Rasulullah They knew the consequences, if things didn't work out in their favor, yet they still chose to betray the treaty and violate it. This means that when they face the consequences later, they can't cry foul. They can't say, hey, we didn't see this coming. They knew the consequence because that was a norm. Ibn Hisham, in his seerah, he records that when it was the eve of the Sabbath, what is the eve of the Sabbath, by the way? It's going to be Friday after Asr. So, because Friday after Asr, that is the last moment for observant Jews who observe the Shabbat to get their things done before the Maghrib time comes. Because when Maghrib enters sunset, that begins the Sabbath for the Jews. So, Ibn Hisham records that on the eve of the Sabbath, Abu Sufyan and some leaders of Ghatafan sent Ikrima ibn Abi Jahl and some of the Qurashi and the Ghatafani people to go and speak with Banu Quraydha about what's going on. There's some confusion here, and they want to go speak to them. Why do they want to speak? Because they're worried that Banu Quraydha is going to switch sides at any time. They're worried that although they agreed to fight with them, now there's this weird conversation, this back and forth, and they're worried that they're going to switch sides. So they wanted to go get reassurances that Banu Quraydha are still sticking to the plan. So Ikrima and others go to Banu Quraydha telling them that we, the Quraysh and the Ghatafan, we're going to attack tomorrow. What will be tomorrow? That will be a Saturday. What is Saturday? It's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. They're telling the Jews of Banu Quraydha, we're going to attack tomorrow to defeat Muhammad once and for all. But subhanAllah, it's such perfect timing, isn't it? Because they arrive on the eve of the Sabbath and Banu Quraydha say in no uncertain terms, that will be a sept, a sept, you know, the, the Sabbath, Shabbat, that will be the Sabbath. And that is a day for nothing but rest and worship. And it happened to some of our people before us 
that they violated the Sabbath and were transformed into apes and swine. Besides, they said, we're not going to fight Muhammad with you until you give us some assurances that will be a security for us so that we can fight because we're afraid that if the battle gets overwhelming, you will leave and retreat to your lands, whereas we are stuck here in our lands. We have nowhere to go. We need reassurances. Now, the scholars mentioned that Quraysh, you know, the people of Mecca, they didn't have a history of lots of Jews living side by side with them, unlike the people of Medina. So this means that they weren't really familiar with this concept known as the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? So they didn't really know about it. So when Banu Qurayla tells them, no, we can't do anything that day. We can't go and fight that day because that's our Sabbath. They're confused. Why wouldn't they be able to fight that day? Why are they asking for one more day? This is very fishy. Why are they asking for more time? Are they plotting something? Why are they, why are they not going out? So they're getting suspicions because Banu Qurayla says it's their Sabbath. They don't really know what a Sabbath is. They don't recognize it, but it just makes them more suspicious. They think they're just trying to buy time and maybe even get reinforcements to switch sides and join the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims in fighting them. So Ikrimah goes back to Abu Sufyan after this meeting with Banu Quraiba and he says to them, you know, they've, they've betrayed us. They've tricked us. They're saying that tomorrow is a day where they don't work and they don't fight. So now Abu Sufyan is he's getting upset because he's starting to feel that this is a, a huge trick they're trying to play on him. And it just so happened that the tribal chief of Banu Nadir, who is Huyay ibn Akhtab, Huyay ibn Akhtab was with Abu Sufyan when Ikrimah came back. So then Abu Sufyan calls Huyay ibn Akhtab to ask him about this thing called the Sabbath. Is this thing real? So he calls Huyay ibn Akhtab and Huyay ibn Akhtab explains to him, yes, the Sabbath is a holy day. It is a sacred day where we don't work. We don't engage in activities. All we do is rest and engage in devotional practices. So Abu Sufyan says, what are you, what are you talking about? What is Sept? What is Saturday except a day between Sunday and Friday? It's just an ordinary day. But Huyay says, we can't do anything on a Saturday. That's our religious tradition. And then Abu Sufyan says, by Allah and Al-Uzza, this is your khiana, this is your treachery. So he feels that it's not sincere. This is just a ploy to switch sides. So Huyay is not switching sides. He's not from Banu Quraidah. So he's in this conversation with Abu Sufyan and he's getting wind of what Banu Quraidah are saying and what Abu Sufyan is saying and now he's alarmed. So what does he do? He quietly sneaks away to go to Banu Quraidah. So you're hearing these places and names and maybe in your mind you're wondering, where are they? Remember, the trench is to the north of Medina and Banu Quraidah are to the south. And by foot, it's a couple of hours of walking, maybe less if you're taking an animal. But they go there, it's a short distance. They, he goes, Huyay bin Akhtab goes to Banu Quraida to speak with them. And when he gets there, what does he do? He begs Banu Quraida to break the Sabbath. He begs them to violate the Sabbath 
and to actually go out and join Quraysh to fight on Saturday. Now, what's interesting here is just the way the events play out because the leader of Banu Qurayla, Ka'ab ibn Asad al-Quradi, he gets really upset at this suggestion to break the Sabbath. And he says, how can you tell us to break the Sabbath, our holy day? You're a Jew like us. You're supposed to observe the Sabbath too. What's wrong with you? And then in his anger, Ka'ab ibn Asad told Huyay ibn Akhtab, if you want to break the Sabbath, you go ahead and break the Sabbath and go out and fight. As for us, we swear to God, even if we are killed, we're not going to break the Sabbath, even if we're killed. That's a really interesting statement because we're going to see next week that he says the exact opposite. When the pressure mounts on him, he actually takes the exact same view as a potential option when they face the consequences. So this is now the unfurling, the unraveling of the alliance between Quraysh and Banu Quraydha. Ibn Sa'ad mentions in his tabaqat that when Ikrimah came back with this reply of Banu Quraydha, Quraysh spoke to the tribe of Ghatafan and said, what Nu'im ibn Mas'ud said to you is true. So send a message, you, Banu Ghatafan, you send a message to Banu Quraydha saying, we're not going to send a single man among, among ours. If you want to fight, you have to come out and fight. We're not going to send you anybody. And when Banu Ghatafan sends a message telling Banu Qurayla the exact same thing that Quraysh said, Banu Qurayla uh, said what Nu'im ibn Mas'ud said is true. They just want to fight, and if they find any chance to leave, they're going to leave. And they're going to leave us. They're going to retreat and leave us on our own. They don't want to send any guarantee that they're going to stay. They're looking for any chance. So when they say that they're going to stay and fight, they're not being sincere. If they find that it gets too tough, they're leaving an opening for themselves to leave. That's why they're not sending anybody to be with us as a collateral. They're not sincere. And then Quraysh is saying, okay, Banu Quraydha is not being sincere. And Banu Ghatafan is not being sincere. So everyone's pointing, have you ever seen that meme with Spider-Man, the multiple Spider-Mans? There's a meme, you have multiple Spider-Mans and they're all pointing fingers at each other, right? That's, that's a very uh, suitable meme for this. Each one is pointing the finger at the other and this alliance is now unraveling as we speak. So Allah causes this discord to emerge between them and each group despaired of the help of the other. So... Uh, they had lost all hope that Banu Quraydha was going to do anything. And Banu Quraydha lost hope that Quraysh and Ghatafan are actually going to stand and fight uh, without retreating if things get tough. It was around this time, and this is about 20 days into this siege when it's just minor skirmishes, about 20 days into it when the weather began to change. Now how many of you have been for been to Medina in the winter time. Have you seen any of the storms there? So if you ever go to Arabia or to desert environments in general, you'll notice the storms, although they may appear rare, when the storms come, they're very powerful. And they can often be very scary. And storms can be very scary even when you have electricity and everything is running. But imagine when you don't have electricity, and it's pitch black dark, 
and there's no moon out, and there's, there's howling winds and thunder and lightning. It, it can be very scary. So what happened is the Prophet ﷺ made a dua. He made several duas. And in those duas, he's praying against the Ahzab. And one of the duas transmitted by Bukhari, the Prophet ﷺ says, Allahumma munzil al-kitabi wa mujri al-sahab wa hazim al-ahzab O Allah, the one who has sent down the book and the one who moves the clouds and the one who destroys the confederates, the ahzab, destroy them and help us against them. So pay attention to the dua because he calls upon Allah Ta'ala with the title of Mujri al-Sahab, the one who drives the clouds. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers that dua and drives the clouds and that became a means of the Muslims' victory. That Friday night, Jibreel alayhi salam came with the sahab and the riyah, the winds and the clouds. And when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa saw Jibreel in that form, he said to the Muslims there, Abshiru, 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 receive the glad tidings, the good news. Because the angel Jibreel and the other angels are coming with angelic support. So it was at this time, you know, during the Sabbath, that the weather took a turn for the worst. It was already cold, right? It's winter time, but it's now taking a turn for the worst. So the freezing cold begins to get even more because of the gusts of wind, right? It's turning pots upside down, according to one narration. Not a single pot of Quraysh was left, except that it was turned upside down from the fierce winds. It put out all of their campfires, because they don't have homes. They're, they're setting up tents. It put out all of their, their fires. And the winds were so strong that it ripped all of their tents and broke all of their tent stakes out of the ground. So they don't have campfires. They don't have pots for their food. They don't even have tents to sleep in. They're just out, exposed in the elements. At least the Muslims had mud houses they could go into during their breaks when those Muslims were taking breaks from doing the guard duty and the fighting patrols. They're alternating, so you can get some break, but they had no break whatsoever. So it was during this chaos of the weather, howling winds. It was so dark when narration says they couldn't even see in front of their hands. The Quraysh and Ghattafan are just stranded out there like this on the other side of the trench, completely dark. <laughs> they couldn't go inside of a tent. And this was an opportunity. So the narrations mentioned that the Prophet Muhammad wanted to find a volunteer who would go from the Muslim side, sneak into the enemy camp, and gather intelligence to see what their plans are. What are they doing? So you have to Put yourself in their shoes. This is 20 plus days after a siege. It is the winter time. Food supplies have dwindled. Everyone has been running, doing uh, roving patrols for 20 plus days engaged in skirmishes. Everyone's tired. Everyone's exhausted and hungry and cold. and It's just a rough situation. And now it's in the middle of this windstorm. And in all of that, the Prophet ﷺ is looking for someone to volunteer and go gather intelligence. But who's going to volunteer? So the volunteer 
was none other than Hudayfa ibn al-Yaman. Hudayfa ibn Yaman radiallahu anhu is the volunteer. And we have the story of Hudayfa from his own words. And it's, it's a beautiful story because he tells it as an old man. He was in Iraq and he was sitting in the masjid around young people who never got to see the Prophet They were from the Tabi'un, the second generation who grew up. And they were asking him to tell them stories about the times he had with the Prophet and the Maghazi, the battles and the expeditions and whatnot. So he's sitting there telling these young people the story. And as he's telling them different stories of battles, one of the young people, they said, Wallahi, if I were there, you know, you're the hubris of the young, right? If I was there in the time of the Prophet ﷺ, I would have shown him what real fighting behind him looks like. I mean, I would have shown him, demonstrated to him and to the Sahaba what a real fighter looks like. This is basically saying if I was there, I would have done even more. Right? That's like a person who watches a boxing match between two professionals and one gets beat and they say, you know, if I was fighting that champion, I'd do it this way. I would, I would wipe the floor with him. That's easy to do that. They call that uh, armchair quarterbacking. So this is kind of like arm, armchair quarterbacking as well. So then Hudayfa decides, after hearing that, let me tell this young man the story of the night of the Ahzab. Laylatul Ahzab, the night of that storm. So he tells the story. He says, I remember Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali, and so on, were all with the Prophet And there were severe howling winds blowing all around. And it was freezing cold. The Quraysh were above us to the north, and Banu Quraydha were to the south beneath us. And we were so frightened that our families would be attacked. And no night had come upon us that was darker or colder than that night. And no night had come upon us that was windier than that night. The wind itself sounded like thunder, he said. It was so dark that we could not even see our fingertips if we extended our hands in front of us. Right? He says on that night, the Prophet ﷺ stood up and said, who will bring me the news of the enemy? And if he does so, I will be his sahib, his companion in Jannah. Who will bring the news? And in return, I will be his companion in Jannah. Abu uh, Hudayfa bin Yaman says that when he said that, no one answered. Everyone's tired. They're cold, they're hungry, they're tired, they're shivering. No one answered. So then he asked a second time, who will go and bring news of the enemy, and in return, he will be my companion in paradise. Hudayfa says, again, no one volunteered. And then he said a third time, who will go and bring news from the enemy, in return, he will be my companion in Jannah. He says, not a single person stood up to volunteer. So Hudayfa says, at that moment, after he said it the third time, he called out, Ya Hudayfa, called out to him. So Hudayfa says, I stood up and I said, Yes, Ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet said, Go and get news from the enemy. And Hudayfa says, 
about this, recollecting, now that he's mentioned my name, I have no choice but to go. So, he's not volunteering. He is being sent by prophetic command. And there is a wisdom here. Why did Hudayfa get picked? Why wasn't it Umar? Why wasn't it Uthman? Why wasn't it Ali? If it's a question of bravery, Ali nas. he's the bravest. Why wouldn't he send Ali? Well, he's sending him behind enemy lines. Whose enemy lines? The lines of Quraysh. You think Quraysh will recognize Imam Ali? Yeah, they will recognize him. Do you think they're going to recognize Hudayfa? They won't. Hudayfa and his father didn't even get to participate at Badr. Because remember, when we told that story a long time ago, they were on the road and were intercepted. And Quraysh thought they were going to join in that battle and made them swear an oath that they wouldn't join. And when they got back, the Prophet ﷺ ensured that they kept that oath. So to keep the oath, they didn't go. And they were excused. So Quraysh don't have experience with Hudayfa. He's not from there. They don't recognize his face. So he is a good candidate for going and getting intelligence from the enemy. So he says that I stood up to go and I was freezing and shivering. I was trembling from the cold and I was very frightened. The idea, think, just think about this. Put yourself there. You're cold, you're tired, you're hungry, you're fatigued. It's a windstorm, you can't see in front of your face, and you have now been sent on a mission, a lone mission of you, one person, going into an army of 10,000 in the dark to get information. That sounds pretty frightening. 10,000 people. So he says that as he was about to go, the Prophet ﷺ made dua for him. He said that the Prophet ﷺ said, O oh Allah, protect him from in front of him and from behind him, from his right and his left, and from beneath him and above him. And he says, after that dua, every fear that I felt in my heart, it completely disappeared. It was completely removed. So he went into the camp without any fear whatsoever. And that is the power of the prophetic dua, because that dua is answered. And with it comes a degree of yaqeen and certainty that you know that it's all going to be all right. It's going to be fine. So he says that he walked through the darkness and through that howling wind until he found the campsite of Quraysh on the other side. And he made his way through the crowd, he said, until he said, I saw the back of one that looked like the leader. And I figured that must be Abu Sufyan. He has the, the demeanor and the bearing of the leader, the way people are acting around him. So he hasn't seen Abu Sufyan. But he figures this must be Abu Sufyan. So he says that he had in that moment a clear shot to take. He brought his bow and arrow. He could have taken a shot. But he remembered that the Prophet ﷺ told him to only go and collect intelligence. So he went to you know, merge into the crowd and pretend to be one of them. That's why he has the bow and arrow, because they're armed too. So he stops, he sits down, and he's just listening to what's going on. So after a while, he says that Abu Sufyan began to speak to the people. 
And Abu Sufyan says, I'm going to say something right now. Very important. So everyone amongst you needs to verify the person sitting next to him is trustworthy. This is some very important intelligence about to go out. You need to make sure that the person next to you is someone who's trustworthy, not some stranger who could be a spy. Okay, this is a chance of him getting exposed. If no one knows him and they're looking this way and that way, they could easily see him like, who are you? And then the gig is up and he's exposed and he'll be killed on the spot. Abu Sufyan says, look to see who's on your left and right to make sure they're trustworthy. And yes, it's dark, so that gives an element of concealment, right? So Hudayfa radiallahu anhu, he's so intelligent, he takes advantage of the situation. And he looks to the person next to him, and he jumps up and says, Man anta, who are you? Acting as if this is a stranger. You know, identify yourself. He's showing this confidence that when he asks, the person gets a little scared, like, I'm so-and-so, but no one thinks to ask him, who are you? Because he's showing such confidence. Why, why, would, why would someone who's trying to hide show such confidence in asking for another person's identity? That was a strategy so that he wouldn't get detected, and he didn't get detected. So Abu Sufyan then stands up, once everyone has checked everybody out, and he says, Ya qawmi, oh my people, we are not here in our houses, and we can't remain here forever. Our animals have perished, our horses are tired, and Banu Quraidha have betrayed us. This is important to understand. They, Quraysh and Banu Ghatafan, did not expect it's going to take 20 days. They thought that with the sheer force of arms and men, they would raid Medina, crush their enemy, take spoils of war, and return to their homeland. So when they packed and brought animal fodder and straw and the things for their animals and for themselves, it was only for a short battle. That was the nature of Arab battles. They didn't have a history of long, protracted conflicts uh, between two standing armies. It was quick raids. So when they're in this stalemate because of the trench, they're running out of food for their horses and their camels. To the point that in the Sira works, it mentions that they even sent the camels outside at the, the distant wadis way outside. But what they didn't realize when they got there is that just a month before, the Muslims had harvested and gathered up all of the straw to use for their animals through the winter. So it's very barren. There's not much to eat. The camels could eat the shrubs and the, th the thorny shrubs and things like that, but the horses couldn't. So they're having to give the horses their own barley, their own corn and other things. So their horses are starving and they're starving too. So this is, this is what the situation they're in. He says, our animals have perished, our horses are tired, and Banu Quraidha have betrayed us. And now look at this wind that is harming us. We can't keep a pot on our fires, nor can our fires even remain lit. And he goes on to say, Look at how this wind is harming us. We don't even have a house to protect ourselves. So I think we should all go back. 
that was it. I think we should all go back. And whatever you say, Abu Sufyan said, whatever you say about the matter, I'm going back. So he gets on his camel, he jumps on it, he unties it, and he gets it to go up, and then he just leaves like that. Middle of the night, he just leaves. So Quraysh, they say, okay, well, we're going to leave too. So they get up and they follow their leader and they leave. Now Hudayfa is telling this story. He's recounting the events and what he said. And he comments about this saying, I had another clear shot of Abu Sufyan. I had another chance to do it. But he wasn't able to defend himself. He was on the camel. And I also remembered the statement of the Prophet to keep this discreet, so I let him go. Hudayfa returns back to the Muslim side across the trench and he finds the Prophet in salat. It's a very cold night. Uh, the narration mentions the Prophet praying and then resting with a large, like, like a blanket, like a duvet cover, one of those thick blankets over him. This is how cold it is. And when the Prophet ﷺ finished his salat, Hudayfa says, I gave him the good news of what Abu Sufyan said in their retreat. And it was shortly after this that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed a verse in Surah Al-Ahzab. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhalladheena amanuthkuru ni'matallahi alaykum idh ja'atkum junoodun fa'arsalna alayhim rihan Oh, you who believe, remember Allah's favor upon you when the enemy forces came to besiege you. So we sent against them a strong wind and forces that you could not see. And Allah is all-seeing of what you do. So we know about the wind. What about the forces? These were the angels. And we'll be learning more about them next week. Ibn Ishaq in his seerah mentions that not a single tent of Banu Ghatafan was standing nor a single tent of Quraysh was standing and that between the two neither did they have any pots that were not overturned neither did they have any fires that were not put out and every single man of Quraysh and Banu Ghatafan decided to, to leave. That was it. Nothing came of this. So that was, the, that was the outcome of the battle. It seems very anticlimactic when you think about it. A force of 10,000, and this is what it comes to. No major clash. It was just a handful of individuals killed on both sides. So they go back and they gain nothing. They didn't secure a victory. They didn't get any spoils of war. In fact, it's kind of humiliating that they go with all of this show of force and they return empty-handed with no victory to claim for themselves. So it's humiliating for them. Even though in the material side of things, it wasn't the decisive victory where you have one side uh, crushing the other side and the other side retreating or uh, surrendering. It wasn't like that. But it's still a victory for the Muslims because the Muslims just wanted to hold them off for as long as they could, holding off what they felt was the inevitable clash but that clash never came to be they just left so Allah turned their hearts because they were so dejected from the loss of resources and the heart the hardships they suffered due to the winter and the wind and the loss of food and 
what we find in this part of the story is something very powerful. After they left and the news has reached everybody, the Prophet says something very important. He says, and this hadith is recorded by Imam Ahmad in his Musnad, he said وسلم, that never again will they attack the Muslims. Never again are they going to mount an attack against the Muslims. He says, now we are going to launch an attack and they won't be able to launch an attack against us. So when we look at the seerah and we read about the ghazawat and the saraya, we read about Badr, we read about Uhud, we learn about them, we learn about this battle of Ahzab. And these are battles where Quraysh are moving into to fight the Muslims. This is the last time that Quraysh will be able to mount an offensive attack. After this, things escalate for sure, but they're never going to marshal this many forces again to fight the Muslims. It's going to be one of victory coming after another victory until we have the conclusion with Fathu Mecca. So this is the end of their offensive attacks. Although there are skirmishes, of course, that come later. So next week, inshallah, we'll be talking about the aftermath of Ahzab. And this is basically the story of Banu Quraidha. And it's very interesting timing to talk about Banu Quraidha, given what's happening in the news. So we're going to talk about what happened with Banu Quraidha. We'll probably divide it into two classes because it's a very long story. And explore what we learn about that story and some of the fiqh related to it. And, you know, respond to different claims made about it. هذا وصلى الله وسلم على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم